For you who may be visiting with us, if you got one of our little packets today, inside there will be a, a, an attendance card. If you'll pass those toward the aisles at this time, I have some gentlemen who will come through there and pick those cards up for you so that we can have a record of your attendance. It is wonderful for us to have you here with us today. That's still the wrong direction. Every week, that's the wrong direction. Still the wrong direction. We're going to get there. There we go. There we go. As you and I have an opportunity to study through the Word of God, it might be the fact that uh, you have been well acquainted with the Bible, and so you're well acquainted with the idea of qualifications for elders and deacons, and you think, oh, not that again. But there may be those who are not. And as we look through, uh, we're going to really base our, our study through 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, although you can read in, in Titus chapter 1 and in, also in 1 Peter chapter 5 those qualifications. When you have a job like mine, you ask this question a lot. And the more I hear it, the, the more I don't like the phrase at the end, when you grow up. But I don't know of a better way to... Uh, ask the question and say, what do you want to be when you get taller? What would you like to be when you grow up? And you'll have all sorts of questions or all sorts of answers to that question. And really, I, I just sort of look at them and go, that sounds good. Some want to be doctors or lawyers or Indian chiefs. Now, there is a prerequisite to the third one. It's a bloodline issue. And you can either have that or not. Matter of fact, when I was growing up, uh, there was a preacher of the gospel in uh, somewhere in Texas he lived. His name was uh, Ralph Gilmore. He's long since passed away. Uh, I did not know when I met him. He just was uh, Mr. Gilmore. I was a little bitty kid. I, I didn't know who he was. But come to find out, he was the chief of all the tribes of the Indians in the United States. He was an interesting fellow. He also had a photographic memory. He was, he was an interesting fellow. He stuck in my mind all these years. But you can be whatever you want to be in the nation in which we live. You hear, uh, I want to be a marine biologist. I want to be a computer designer. I want to be a mechanic. I want to be a carpenter. I want to be elder. Elder's wife? I'll be real honest with you, you don't hear that answer very much. Although our youth group may be thinking that direction, perhaps it's the way the question's asked to, to uh, not get that particular response. But you don't hear that response very often. As a matter of fact, in 18 years worth of preaching, I think I've heard it one time. I want to be an elder. Wow, okay. I want to be an elder's wife. When we look at the qualifications today, what we're going to find out is it's just as important uh, on the end of the elder's wife as it is on the end of the elder. Let's, let's look at the church congregation as itself. You can be one of four ways as a congregation of the Lord's church. You can be scripturally organized. 
That is, you can be those who are following after uh, the biblical example and mandate of elderships within the church. That is, those men who are qualified and those men who desire it. That can be a, a way the church is organized. You can be scripturally unorganized. You can have men or, or not have men in the congregation, and you can't have elders. You can have men who are not qualified, and you can't establish an eldership. You can have a, a congregation of ladies. Let me take you back a few years to a place called Cherry Valley, Arkansas where some guy had an opportunity to go over there and preach. That would be me. And it was me. Every week it was me, one other gentleman, and about a dozen ladies. They were scripturally unorganized. Well, what about this guy? Was he qualified? It doesn't matter if he was qualified. you got to have more than one to have an eldership. And so, while they were unorganized, they were scriptural in their, in their doing. You could be unscripturally organized. That is, anybody, anywhere, anytime can fit into this role that we call eldership, and, and it, uh, no holds barred, and here we go, and that would be unscriptural. You can find yourself as being unscripturally unorganized. Gentlemen, look at me and just shake or nod. You ever been in a men's meeting? You ever want to go back? No, no. That's such a difficult process. I was in a men's meeting one time, and I heard a gentleman say this. We have not had an eldership in 16 years, and we don't intend to have one now. Scripturally unorganized. Were there men who were qualified? Absolutely. We want to find ourselves in the scriptural category. And so we're going to do away with unscripturally organized or unscripturally unorganized. We find ourselves even today past the category of scripturally unorganized because we have a set of elders uh, who make up an eldership who lead us, and we have a set of deacons who uh, work alongside them. But as our eldership has mentioned, what we want to do is make sure that this eldership and this diaconate is ready to go and continues through the years. And in order to do that, we all must find ourselves being very educated about what God would expect from us. And what do you expect from leaders? People have always needed leadership. You read about Moses leading the nation of Israel and Joshua after Moses' death. And then there's this group, the judges, where they led well then. They were not led very well then. You had David take over in the, in the process of the kings. You had the prophets all through there telling God's people what they need. So the question is, do we need a leadership today? Absolutely. Uh, it leaves us one of three choices. We can look at Titus, uh, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. Or 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what we're going to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you'll grab your Bible and turn over there, we're going to read just a few verses so that we can understand where we should be or where we ought to be looking in order to understand what these requirements are. Now, in the King James Version from which I'm going to read, there's going to be a word in here in verse 1 that's going to 
mess with your head. Before we get too far into it, there are six terms found within the New Testament uh, that make up the office of the eldership. You have elder, you have presbyter, those both deal with uh, the age of a man. You have uh, overseer and uh, overseer and bishop, and those deal with the, the practice in which this, this eldership would deal with things like um, the superintendents of a school, where they, they run things, but they don't micromanage. And then you have pastor and shepherd that deal with feeding the particular flock. So when you and I look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we see bishop, don't be scared. It's the same group of people, and I have lost my... Here we go. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation, of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and to the snare of the devil. Now look at verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. And so as we look at this category, we're going to look at it in four different ways. The requirements, the restriction, the wife, and the want. So let's start with the requirements. There are certain requirements, certain positive requirements that are found in a man that should be found in the eldership or a man who wants to be a part of the eldership. And they begin like this, blameless. Notice that that word is not sinless. There's not one out of the five elders that we have who would stand here and tell you they were sinless. So what's the difference? The idea of blameless is the idea of correctable. All right, everybody close your eyes and raise your hand. This way you won't have to see everybody else. How many of you have sinned? Let's just close our eyes and raise our hands so nobody sees it, right? Okay. How many of you have corrected that? Yeah. There's, see, see the idea of correction? I, I can hear what the truth is, then I can change my life to fit the pattern of that truth. I'm not sinless, but to that to that sin, I am blameless. When I confess that to God, He doesn't hold that against me. I am blameless. I am vigilant. Vigilance is a funny word that we don't use very much here in 2022. It means to be constantly watching. Always looking at... Children, there used to be a ritual that happened on Saturday mornings. Streaming has taken this out of, out of play, but you used to could wake up about 6 or 7 on Saturday morning and watch cartoons from about 7 till noon. You could watch cartoons all Saturday morning long. And the best ones were uh, Looney Tunes. They would run all sorts of 
of cartoons, back to back to back. And they ran one about this dog that would sit on top of a hill and watch over a, a flock of sheep and that this coyote would come by and try to uh, get him off of his watch and take those sheep. He never did break the concentration of that dog because that dog was vigilant. He was always concerned about that particular flock that he was watching over and he would eventually pound that particular uh, coyote into the ground. And eventually you would see them this. They would clock out like they were actually at a job at the, end of, at the end of the cartoon. It was very funny. He was always watching. Never sleeping. Always protecting. Vigilance has the idea of this shepherd continually watching over the flock. How about good behavior? One of the requirements is good behavior. You know what that means? Being have. Your mom or, or grandmother ask you, are you being have? Yes, ma'am, I'm always have. You know what, you know what, you know what behave means? Because it doesn't change within this grouping of, of, of answers and, and requirements. Being have and, and, and uh, putting your uh, best foot forward and acting like you got some sense and you've been raised by something other than wolves is, is what good behavior means. It means being the best uh, on your best behavior that you have all the time. And then you have in this group of requirements... Hospitable. Hospitable. I grew up in a small town in Alabama. Hospitable and visiting someone meant the same thing. In this little small town known as Munford, Alabama... It means to go onto somebody's porch and drink their tea with them and sit there for five or ten minutes, talk about how everything's going and make sure that they're doing okay and that they don't need anything and then just leaving, maybe getting a glass of tea for the road. The idea of hospitable here uh, holds a little more than just meeting someone on their porch and drinking up their tea. It really holds the idea of meeting to a need. And here's how, here's how I vision it now. As I look at the idea of visitation and hospitality, if as I'm walking to this lady's porch, I'm having to sort of walk like this so I can walk over her grass and get to her porch, you know what she needs? She needs somebody to cut her grass. You know how I would be hospitable to her? Cut her grass. Meet those needs. If, if, if I wanted to be an elder and I walk up to somebody's house and I kind of go, hey, we sure did miss you. Let me go back. It would be hospitable to take care of her need, to cut her grass. Well, I can't do that. Well, sure you can. It's easy. You know how I know you can? Because you don't walk over your grass like this. 
See, when we, when we take the idea of hospitable away from simply sitting on a porch drinking tea and we look at it, the idea of meeting needs, we might walk into that house and the grass be wonderful, but there be every dish in the house needs washed. And she can't get up to do it. What am I supposed to do? You want to be hospitable? You want to be a leader? Roll up your sleeves. Notice this next requirement. Apt to teach. The older generation back home would use the word apt a lot. Watch out for that fella, he's apt to act crazy. Watch out for that fella right there, he's apt to just drive like a maniac. What about this? Watch out for that fella, he's apt to teach. It's not really the idea that he'd just break out into teaching just any minute and you can't stop him. The idea is the, the ability to teach and the desire to teach. You see, the ability and the desire have to be there in order for that man to be apt to teach because there might come a point in time where they ask a question during that Bible study. And that question would be very hard. And here's a perfect... You ready? Write this down. I don't know. I'm not sure about what you're asking. Let me work on that and study on that and, and bring you back an answer. But here's the key to that. You've got to bring that answer back. You're not going to know every answer, but you need to have the desire and the ability to teach if you want to be a leader of God's people. Notice this. The elder must be patient. The word patient there actually means to suffer long. You want to define long-suffering? Here it is, to, to suffer long. Do you know why the, the elder there is mentioned as being patient? Because folks. That's why. Because different folks have, have different problems, and while I may not have a problem with this particular thing that, that this person does, well, they do. I can't just look at them and say, hey, just get over it. That, that's not going to work. To be an elder in the Lord's church, to be a leader in the Lord's church means that I am melted in with every family that I'm leading. And in their triumphs, I triumph. And in their defeats, I defeat. And when they need encouragement, they turn to me. And I find myself suffering long with them. And the last of the requirements is this. A good report from those which are without. From those which are without what? Outside of the church. He's supposed to have a good report from those who are outside of the church. Not only is he blameless from those inside, now we look at him uh, as the community sees him. And they say a pretty good old fellow. Hey, you know this guy? Sure, I know him. He's a good guy. I, I, he helped me one day do this. I, I never have any problems with him. He's a good guy. When the world looks at you and says you're a pretty good guy, you're doing okay. 
when they see you as, as the same person here as there, then, then you're doing all right. A good report from those which are without. Now, those are the positive requirements of being an elder in the Lord's church. But there are some restrictions. Now, you're going to see this in a different version next week when we look at deacons. Here the elder is not given to wine, and there the deacon is not given to much wine. That means the deacons can drink a little bit because they have to deal with elders, right? It's not what that means. It's actually the same uh, Greek phrase, and it's dealing with two ends of the spectrum of uh, wine itself. One's not given to wine that is not... Uh, not a drinker and not given to much wine is not given to an excessive amount and an addiction toward. Why? Well, when we look through this and we see man being sober and, and vigilant, he's going to have to keep his wits about him. Yeah, but doesn't the Bible just say don't get drunk? Well, what does it say? You see it right there written on the board. You can look in First Timothy, what does not given to wine mean? I hate chicken liver. In 20 years, I have eaten two of them because I know this girl who said, you might like it, try it again. They're still gross, and I hate them. I don't eat chicken liver unless a catfish has been caught on said liver do you understand me okay now listen now listen to this i know billy doesn't eat them but maybe he just doesn't eat them till he gets full I don't eat them at all. I don't eat them till I get full. I don't eat one. I don't like them. I don't want anything to do with them. God gave me the amount of livers he wants me to have. <laughs> Apply that same logic to drinking alcohol. Now you're beginning to understand not giving to wine. It's not the idea of not drinking until I'm drunk. It's the idea of I don't do it. You mean not at all? I mean not at all. That's what I mean. What does it say? I mean, it either says that or it doesn't. So what does it say? Well, followed closely to this idea in both of the lists is not a striker. I wonder why, because he's a mean drunk. Why does it follow right behind it? Well, you ever known of anybody get drunk and get into a fight? That doesn't happen, does it? Mm-hmm. There are more, it's more than just being drunk and drunkenness that can be devastating when alcohol is consumed. 
Families can lose loved ones due to car accidents. Domestic violence goes up. Fighting in and out of bars goes up. But we're just going to overlook that and let him lead the church? Church. Shake or nod. Can't do that. Not if I'm going to be seen from the inside and the outside as blameless and having a good report. Then those would fly in the face of that. Notice this next one. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Anybody use those particular phrases this week? Dirty money. You know that one? Do you know bribery? Then you know the idea of filthy lucre. How could the eldership find themselves in a position where they could be bribed? Well, we're going to put down new carpet, and we don't like the green, so the highest bidder gets it. And you come in with about $14,000 and say, I want it to be purple. I'm going to let you know something. The purple on the floor and the green on the upholstery ain't going to work together, so we're going to have to change that too, so you're going to have to come off a little more cash and... Oh, my, dirty money. Did you know that money has been a problem for people as long as money has existed? We talked last week about the, the gods in the day of Joshua. And now, we like to carry our gods in our own pocket. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Not a brawler. That is, that is the direct opposite of being peaceable and loving toward people and, and having the opportunity to teach them the gospel. Imagine you wanting to sit down and learn the gospel and uh, a guy come in and say, we're not going to do this peacefully. I'm going to beat you up and you're going to learn the gospel. Whew. I don't want any more of that. I think I'm full of gospel. Let me, let me try something else. These all fly in the face of those things that were required uh, earlier. Not covetous. And the idea there of covetous, uh, interestingly, I think of the guy at about one or two in the morning who always wore the suit with the question marks on it, telling you and selling you a book for 1995 of how to get rich and not ever have to do anything. The one who's looking to turn over the quickest dollar, the one who's looking to turn over the biggest fame and fortune for no, no good reason. You know, there's never a point in time within the New Testament Scripture where the Bible would teach that is wrong for a Christian to make money. Matter of fact, uh, industriousness is often uh, a, a good thing that Jesus and, and God himself would even talk about. We're talking about those who look for uh, Ponzi schemes and get-rich-quick 
kind of schemes. That, that can't happen within the, in the church. We're going to mortgage all of, our, uh, all of our building on this thing, or, or we're going to do all of this thing, and we'll, we'll turn a quick dollar here, and then we'll, be, we'll have more than enough money. What do we need money for? Church, do you think, you think God can do His will without your money? I'd shake or nod. He don't need your money, but you need to give it. So the idea here is not one who is leveraging this job to make money, but rather one who is leading the flock and not a novice. Not one who is newly converted. Not one who would fit underneath this particular mindset that is baffling and mind-blowing. We need to teach that guy the gospel because he's a good businessman. He'll be a good elder. Shame, shame, shame. Did you read on this list yet where it said, make sure you get a good businessman? Hmm. Not one who is newly converted. Not one who is barely familiar with the Scripture or barely familiar with the running and the ins and outs of the congregation and the people that are found therein. Why? Because he's going to have to lead. And I'll let you know something. The idea of leading this flock is a difficult job, and you get someone who's new in here wanting to do that, it won't be too long for the runoff. What do you mean, difficult job, preacher? Don't, don't say it out loud, but let me ask you this question. When's the last time you went up to one of the five and said, thank you? And ask for something or want to know about this or that. Just say, thank you for the job. That's part of the reason why it's difficult. It's a tough job. Well, we looked at some restrictions. We looked at some requirements. Let's look at the idea of family. I put it under wife so that it would sort of begin to uh, have the same uh, look about it. Let's look at wives. He's supposed to be the husband of one wife. Stop right there. That automatically cuts out 50% of the world. Automatically. Ladies. Love you dearly. Ladies, I didn't write the material. But here's what God has said. I want the leaders of the church to be men and husbands. And husbands of wives who are in a proper relationship, husband of one wife, that is, both of them have the blessing of God to marry each other. There have been some who tried to take the idea of husband of one wife to say that the husband would need to make sure that he was only married one time, but the wife could have been married a hundred times. Eh, come on, guys. Not the correct mindset or, or, or uh, requirements here given by God. The husband of one wife, one who is uh, in a proper spiritual relationship with his wife, one who has the right to marry. And from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and then Titus chapter 
1 and 1 Peter chapter 5. You have three different versions of this idea, faithful children. In 1 Timothy, you have uh, the idea of children who are under subjection, who are being ruled in the, in the family situation like they should be. Here's what I think. Now, this is just what I think, and you don't have to believe this or agree with this, but I think one of the reasons, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 3, why God says, make sure you pick a man who has children who are under subjection is because these gentlemen who are going to be elders are going to have to work with us, and sometimes we act like a bunch of kids. Here you have men who have the rules and the regulations of their house so that they are following them and that everyone in the house is following behind them. These are not rules for just everyone else in the house except for him. These are faithful children who are following after their father in his faithfulness. Here's the reason why. How is a man supposed to rule the church if he can't rule well his own house? Now look at verse 11. And you say, preacher, this one here is in with the deacons. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before too. This is a, a uh, descriptor for both deacons and elders' wives. Now, ladies, listen. It would be a shame. It would be a shame to have the man of the house qualified to be an elder, but be disqualified because his wife is not qualified to be an elder's wife. And those are things that need to be looked at. She's supposed to be grave, that is, honorable. Those who would look at her from the inside and the out as one that they could look up to. In Titus chapter 2, you'll see the older teaching the younger. It's the same idea of honorable. Look at the idea of not slanderer. The word there is diablos, even in the Greek, which I found to be amusing because diablos in Spanish means devil. You're right. You get the gold star for today. This is the idea of one who is not a slanderer, one who is not speaking like the devil would. <laughs> Tell the truth. I'm 45 years old. I've heard no. I've heard truth that I don't like. It's all right. I'll probably get over it. Not slanderer. Sober. Has nothing to do with alcohol in this mindset, but it does have everything to do with clear level headedness. Not taken too far one direction or the other uh, out of uh, situational things or emotional things. And so you have a lady who is honorable and one who teaches, one who is truthful, one who is clear headed, and then you have this one faithful in all things. Well, that covers a whole lot of stuff right there. The idea here for this lady is one who is honorable, one who is truth or full of truth, one who is clear-headed, one who lives a faithful life. By doing what? By, by living faithfully. Everything that you see about her life may not be sinless. Once again, she doesn't, she's not required to be sinless. She's required to be faithful. You, you want 
see how this works out? Miss Brandy? Oh, I hate to ask this question. Are you married to a perfect man? Shaking her head, yes. What a wonderful lady she is. Boy, I appreciate that. No, she's not. Are you married to a faithful man? What's the difference? Mm -hmm. See, when the lady, the wife of the elder is asked to be faithful, she's not asked to be perfect. She's asked to be faithful. The want. Now, here's the probably the crux of the whole matter found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. A man can meet all of those requirements found. He can, he can meet all of those with flying colors stellarly. His wife can be all of those things found in verse 11, and he disqualify himself. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And this particular requirement may be the most telling of all of them. Here's why. Let's say that I am one who meets those qualifications. And uh, the eldership comes to me, and my wife meets all those qualifications, and I say, thank you, that is a, <clears throat> that is a wonderful uh, honor, and I appreciate you thinking about me, but I don't want to do it. And I live the rest of my life, and that's the answer that I give each time that, that uh, statement comes up. Now, pass from this life, or Jesus returns, and the judgment happens. Now, I, I want you to tell me what the answer is going to be. When you stand looking God in His face only to say, well, I didn't want it to have the scarred body of Jesus standing right beside you. You think He wanted that? Well, I might not do a good job. Well, you might do a great job. I just don't think I can do it. Have you ever tried it? You're going to have to give an answer for the desire or not desire, and I don't know how, what that answer is. And if I'm reading this list right from 1 Timothy chapter 3, from Titus chapter 1, and from 1 Peter chapter 5, every single thing, with the exception of wife and children, that is required of an elder, listen, this is going to be big right here, is required of a Christian, period. That's big. Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't have, well, then you need to get something right. Well, I don't qualify. Well, then something needs to happen. Because if it's not family related, like as if you don't have a wife or you, you don't have children or you don't have children who are old enough to be obedient to the gospel, then something in your life's wrong. And it needs to change. So we look at elders and that list and we think, that's a lofty goal. It's, it's, it's really not a lofty goal. It is what's required of every Christian. What do I want to be when I grow up? A leader of God's people? The wife of the leader of God's people? Where I can lead people to the salvation given to us by the blood of Jesus the Christ? 
Are you working your way that way? Have you even started? When you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, the very beginning question is one who has a desire to serve God in that capacity. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a desire at all to serve God? So, preacher, I, I do, but I'm not real sure. Well, let me tell you something. Today is the day of salvation, and tomorrow may be too late. If you have that desire to serve God, you're almost there. To have a desire to serve God, to do whatever He says, however He says it, means that I'm going to hear what He has to say, and I'm going to believe those things. John 8 and verse number 24. That I'm going to repent of my sin, Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3. That I'm going to confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And that I'm going to be baptized in water, Acts 2, 38, for the remission of my sins and be raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 4. And then I'm going to live a faithful life unto him because my desire is to serve a holy God, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. See how easy and quick that was? That's God's plan of salvation for every man all the time. And if you haven't had access to that, you need to do that even today. You have done those things, and you look at this list, and you say, boy, I need to... I need to do better in this thing or that thing. I need to really work on this or that. Well, the answer is, yeah, you probably do. Do you need to come home? You need to come home to a God that, that loves you? Come back home to a family that misses you? Do those things right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement.